Uh, if you would, open with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to continue our series going through the book of Philippians. Now, last week I was in Fredericksburg and Pastor Mark preached on uh, bearing fruit for, for the Lord. Didn't he do a great job last week? Wasn't that awesome? Amen. And uh, we're, we're going to finish, finally today, finally we're going to finish verse 11. Uh, some of you thought that Mark actually finished verse 11. No, he didn't. He, there, there was still some, some truth left to be uh, proclaimed from verse 11. So we're going to finish out uh, this great prayer that we've been looking at over the last seven weeks. And so let's just read through this once again, and we'll pray, and we're going to jump right into it this morning. Uh, you can also open to John 15 as well. There, there's uh, another section of John chapter 15 that we're going to look at this morning that's going to help us unpack uh, what we've been learning uh, through this text. So first, uh, not first Corinthians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Lord, the world today is in darkness, largely because they have rejected your word. But Lord, your word has shown itself into our hearts and into our lives, and you have revealed to us the truth. Lord, it's not by our own cunning, it's not by our own wisdom, it's not by our own intellect or mental prowess that we have uh, discovered, that, that we, we have believed upon these great truths. Lord, it is a work of your Spirit in our lives, that you have taken the scales off of our eyes, you have given us eyes to see, Lord, you've, you've unclogged our ears, you've given us ears to hear the truth of your Word. And Lord, for that we are thankful today. Lord, as we approach your word every week that we do, every time we open this book, we're reminded once again that these are not the words of men, but these are your words. These are the words of God. And so, Lord, we pray that we would humble ourselves under your word today. Lord, that we would not set ourselves up as an authority to, to somehow judge your word sitting above your word, but Lord, today we sit under your word. Lord, we ask that you, through your spirit, would teach us, would instruct us, would guide us, would lead us, would help us to be the people of God that you've called us to be in this hour, to be people of the light living in a dark world, that we would shine forth the praise and glory of God everywhere that we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, again, I, I said, as you, as you undoubtedly know, we've, we've been in this short prayer, these three verses. Uh, now, today, we'll make the seventh week that we've spent on this prayer that Paul prays. And that's a little bit unusual for us. We typically don't go that slow uh, through books of the Bible. But the reason why we, we paused and, and we took time working through this prayer is because it's, it's more than just a simple little prayer. It really is this, this, this outline that he has for us in this prayer. It is the, the pathway. It is the, the roadmap, if you will, for the Christian life. And it ends with and it culminates in this last phrase, to the glory and praise of God. 
And so these seven weeks that we're spending on this passage, it's not just seven weeks looking at this prayer. It's really seven weeks on how to live a life that brings glory unto God. And that's a worthwhile study. That's a worth, we need to know how to live a life that brings glory to God. And so that's why we slowed down. That's why we took the time because it's essential for us to know how to live a life that brings glory to God. And of course, we saw and, and we've seen every week that this life that brings glory to God, it starts with love. Paul prays, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, this love that, that we have in our hearts, what we saw in the first week was this love did not start with us. We are not the source of this love. The Bible actually says that our love for God is because he has first loved us. Amen? That we love him because he loved us. So this love for God, we have to understand, first, it begins with God. It begins with God loving us, not with us loving God. 1 John 4, 10, that God loved us, and that's why we love him. That is the gospel message, that God has so loved the world that he sent his son into the world to die so that all who would believe in him could have life and life eternal. And that actually is the definition of love. 1 John 4, 19, in this is love, that God sent his only son into the world to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so living a life that brings honor and glory to God, it doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with us cleaning ourselves up. It doesn't start with us being really good people. It starts with God loving us. And His love transforming us. His love changing us. His love taking us from where we were to being a new kind of people who are filled with His Spirit. And so we now love Him because He has loved us. It starts with God's love for us. And now that we love God, we have a desire to know God. Amen? To know Him, to be close to Him, to have intimate fellowship with Him just as we desire to know anyone and everyone that we love. And so this desire to know God, where does it lead us to? Well, of course, it leads us to His Word. And so we add to our love this knowledge of God, this discernment of truth. And of course, this leads us into obedience, to obeying God, and, and to living a life of righteousness, a life of holiness, a life that He calls excellent, blameless, and pure which produces in us the fruit of righteousness. And all of this culminates in a life that gives glory and praise to God. Now, God's glory, this idea of God's glory, it's a theme that runs throughout the Bible. It's not only here in Philippians. It's, it's actually all over uh, the, the whole Bible. But Paul even concludes this letter by coming back to this theme of the glory of God. In his closing remarks in Philippians 4.20, he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10.31, just some examples of how the glory of God is mentioned in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whatever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. 1 Peter 4.11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. And finally, Romans 16.27, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, what's, what's so interesting to me is that so many of these verses that talk about the glory of God, that they conclude with this statement, amen. 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 Do you know what that means? It means so be it. So be it. It means to agree with, to, to make that declaration that, that, I, that I affirm that, that I believe that, that I agree with it and, it, and it carries with it this sort of finality to it, that all of our lives, they, they begin with love, but they should end at a certain place. They should end at a certain destination, and that destination is a life that brings glory and praise to God. And so what does it mean to glorify God? What does that mean? What does it mean to glorify anything, to glorify something? Well, to glorify means to bring praise or fame to someone or something. To glorify something means to bring praise or, or fame to someone or something. Public praise. And it also has to do with bringing honor and bringing fame to someone or something. And so to glorify God means to live your life in such a way that makes God famous, that puts God on display. To live your life in a way that shows forth who God is. That's what it means to give glory to God, to glorify God. To live a life that puts God on display. To live a life that puts his attributes, his character, his nature on display. That's what bringing glory to God is. That's what it looks like. So if I'm going to live a life that brings glory to God, guess what? I have to know God. I have to, I have to know some things about him. I have to know what he's like. I have to know his character. I have to know his Nature. I have to know the things that he approves of and the things that he disapproves of. I have to know the things that he loves and the things that he hates. And, and I have to take those and incorporate them into my life. So that the things that God loves are the things that I love. The things that God hates are the things that I hate. The things that bring God joy are the things that bring me joy. The things that pain the heart of God are the same things that pain my heart. That's what it means to glorify God, that his nature, that his attributes, that his character would manifest in our lives, would show forth in our lives, and that through that we would bring God honor in our lives, not to live a life that would bring reproach on the name 
of Christ. That we would live lives that bring honor and praise and glory to God who is in heaven. Jesus said this in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. He said, no one lights a lamp and hides it, but he lifts it up so it can shine bright. And then he says, in the same way, let your lights shine before men, that they would see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen, there's no such thing, or there should not be any such thing as an undercover Christian. Everyone in your life should know that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Not just by the way you live, but by the words that you speak. It should not be confusing to people when they find out that you're a believer. That shouldn't be shocking to them. You know, hey, come over to do this, do that, and, and uh, come, come over. Uh, we're having a brunch on Sunday. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to be at church on Sunday. Oh, you're a Christian? You're a Christian? That, that's, that's not the right thing, right? I mean, it's, it, it should be obvious, but people should know. It shouldn't, it's nothing that we should be ashamed of. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We should be proud that God has counted us worthy. Worthy recipients of his gospel. We never should be ashamed of the fact that we are believers in Jesus Christ. No matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. So we live our lives in such a way that brings honor and praise and glory to God. Live our lives in such a way that demonstrates His nature, His character, His attributes. Now why is this so important that we live a life that glorifies God? Why is it mentioned over and over and over again? Why does it seem that it's such a big deal to God that we live a life that glorifies Him? Well, the reason why we're instructed over and over again in the New Testament to live lives that bring praise and glory to God is because simply this is why you were created. You were created to glorify God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, uh, we're not going to take time to turn there this morning. I'm going to read to you from, from Genesis chapter 1 when God created humanity. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man, that's my, mankind, in our image, after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Listen, God's design for humanity, when he created humanity, he, for, he created us in his image. Now that doesn't mean that we look like God physically. The Bible tells us that God is spirit, that the Father has no bodily form. 
that the Son of God, Jesus, he became a man. He took on human flesh. But when God created mankind, there was no body, no human body in heaven. God doesn't have two eyes, a nose, two ears, two hands, two feet, ten fingers, ten toes. You know, that, that's not what it means when it says, let's create mankind in our image. What it is saying, what God is saying, is that humanity was created to image God. What an image does is, is it reflects something about the person uh, that, that its image it bears. You remember the, the story of the three Hebrew children in Babylon when King Nebuchadnezzar set up for himself a golden image of himself. And that golden image was to show forth his glory, the glory of King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were instructed, the three Hebrew children, you have to bow down and worship the image. Of course, they didn't, and the Lord rescued them. And it's this incredible testimony of God's saving power and their boldness to stand up in the face of tyranny. Amen? Amen. To stand for God and not bow down to the mandates of totalitarian fascists. Amen? And so they stood their ground and said, we will not bow. It's a great example for the church today. So, nevertheless, the point being that King Nebuchadnezzar made himself a golden image. But humanity, in that same way, was made to reflect God's nature and God's character to the world. That's what an image does. And so as image bearers of God, which we all are, both male and female bear the image of God. What that means is you were designed by God to show forth His nature, His character, His attributes. That you would put God's nature, God's glory on display. And that we, humanity, would fill the earth with these kinds of image bearers. Now very quickly, humanity got off track and, and they were deceived by Satan and they were deceived into not bearing God's image, but bearing their own image of not following God's nature, character, but following their own desires. And of course, we see the brokenness in our world that has ensued. But you were created. This is why you were created to show forth the glory of God. Not, not just in a general sense. Of, of humanity in general, but in a specific sense. You, your name. God knew who you were before you were born. Did you know that? He formed you in your mother's womb. He called you out of darkness. By name, the Bible says, He has called us. You were created to glorify God, to show forth His glory. This is why you are here on planet Earth. That's it. You want to know the purpose for your life? It's to glorify God. That is your purpose in life. That is why you were created. God created you to bear His image, and to show forth His glory. This is the purpose, singular, 
for your life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is this great collection of the Christian faith and the Christian truths distilled to teach from generation to generation, the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with this statement, with this question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is why you were created. That is the highest goal. That is the highest ideal. That, that is the, the, the target. Uh, uh, that is the bullseye on the target of your life to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so what this means is that you will not have fulfillment in your life if your life does not glorify God. You will have no fulfillment. You will have no satisfaction. You will have no lasting joy if you are not living a life to bring glory and honor and praise to God. Because you are living a life outside of your created purpose. To, to live a life not for God's glory, but for your own glory. To live a life not, not to, to bring Him praise, but so that people might praise you. Is to, to, to be a, a round peg in a square hole. It, it just will not work. It will be so frustrating, so dissatisfying. The only way to have lasting joy, lasting fulfillment, lasting peace, lasting satisfaction is to live a life that glorifies God, to make glorifying God the aim of your life. That is the, the pathway to satisfaction in your life. So what does this look like practically? As we try to live this out, as we try to walk this out moment by moment, day by day, well, what does this look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. You, you want to know what a life that brings honor and glory to God looks like? Look no further than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who, who perfectly modeled this, perfectly embodied this. John 17, 4, as Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, what's called his high priestly prayer, Jesus says this, I glorified you, praying to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. If you want to know what it looks like to live a life that brings honor and glory to God, look at Jesus. Jesus loved the Father perfectly, perfect love. Jesus submitted to the Father perfectly, perfect submission. Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly, perfect obedience. And Jesus took joy in those things perfectly. It wasn't hard. It wasn't hard work. It wasn't drudgery for Jesus to obey the Father. It brought him the deepest joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And that is why he was able to do these things perfectly. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the pain of the cross. 
And so, of course, living a life that brings honor and glory to God, it doesn't mean that things will always be easy. It doesn't mean that things will always be perfect. It doesn't mean that there won't be pain and even suffering in life. But what it does mean is in, even in the midst of the trial, there is joy. Because we're not living for this life. We're living for the glory of God. If I want to know what living a life to the glory of God looks like, I must look to Jesus. Now, if you look to Jesus for about 15 seconds and then you look back at your own life, you'll, there'll be some things that are painfully obvious to you, hopefully. Amen. It's that there's a, quite a gulf, quite a chasm between how Jesus lived his life and how we live our lives. There's quite a gap there. Jesus is the example. Jesus is the model. So, so how do we do this? Well, first we have to recognize and acknowledge that Jesus is the one who did this perfectly. Jesus is the one who obeyed perfectly. Jesus is the one who submitted perfectly. Jesus is the one who kept the law perfectly. And we have to realize that all of us have not obeyed God's law. We've all broken God's law. None of us has perfectly submitted to God's law. We've, we've gone our own way. We've rebelled against God. But Jesus, of course, the great gospel truth is that, that God in Christ offers to us Jesus' perfect submission. And he credits, he credits it to our account through faith, which is, un, I mean, beyond measure, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, that the work of Christ would be credited to my account, that his perfect submission becomes my perfect submission, not by my own works, but by faith receiving this gift of grace, unmerited favor. So in Christ, we are now counted as righteous, in Christ, we are now declared perfectly righteous before a holy God Amen. on the merits of Christ's work for us on the cross. What glorious good news. Amen? So when God sees me, he doesn't see a miserable wretch. He doesn't see a rebellious sinner. When God sees me, someone who has put their faith in Christ, trusted in Christ alone, for his salvation, what he sees is the righteousness of Christ. This is the basis upon which I can have fellowship with the Father. This is the basis upon which I can come into his presence with joy and singing. This is the basis upon which I can, can, can be ushered into to the presence of God through prayer. That I can stand boldly, the Bible says, boldly go in to the throne of grace. To stand before a righteous and a holy God, how can I do it? Well, not clothed in my own righteousness, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are welcomed in as sons and daughters. But this righteousness that we wear, it should begin to influence the way we live. Now having been set free from those filthy rags that we once walked in, 
clothed with the precious blood of Christ, washed with the precious blood of Christ, clothed in, in His righteousness. Why would I walk back into the very sin and shame that soiled me in the first place? Amen? Why go and soil the righteousness of Christ by continuing to live the life I lived before Christ called me? Amen? And so John 15, this is where Pastor Mark taught from last week. It has for us the key on all of this. How do we now live this kind of life? John chapter 15, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start where he left off. He left off in verse 7. I'm going to start there, but I'm, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 just to again lay that context for us. Jesus says, John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So guess what? If you're a believer in Christ, you're, you're, you're attached to him. He is the true vine. And guess what? You're going to bear some fruit in your life by being attached to the, to the true vine. But guess what? As soon as you start bearing some fruit, guess who shows up? The, the heavenly father, the vine dresser. And guess what he's carrying with him? Those shears. And here he comes, snip, snip. He, he starts to, to cut and sometimes even cut deeply, it feels like those things in our life that do not bring glory to Him. He begins to cut. He begins to prune. That pruning process. And it doesn't feel good when God begins to prune. It doesn't feel good when we begin to be convicted of sin. It doesn't feel good when God would even lead us through seasons of hardship and even seasons of suffering to prune some things out of our lives. But that's how we know that we are the children of God. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, we know that we are the children of God because He disciplines us. We're the sons and daughters of God, and so he will discipline us and help us remove things from our lives that do not bring him glory. Every branch that, branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so God, what he wants to do is he, he will come and he will replace the things in your life that don't bring him glory and put the things in your life that will bring him more glory. That's what he's talking about. He says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the, van, in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot bring glory to God on your own. You can't do this on your own. If you try and just grit your teeth and white knuckle and I'm going to bring glory to God by 
God's sake, I'm going to do this. That doesn't bring God glory. No. We have to realize that apart from Him, apart from the work of Christ, we can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. All right, how do we bring glory to God? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This word abide in, he tells us that we must abide in him. Jesus says, abide in me, abide in my love. What does this word abide mean? It means to live in. That we live in the love of Christ. That we live in Christ. That's the whole theme of the book of Ephesians. Over 30 times in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about how we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Everything in our lives is in Christ. What this means is that Christ is our source. Christ is the source of our life. He is what we are tapped into. He is our supply. He is what gives us strength. He is our emo source of emotional life, of spiritual life. It flows from Christ. It means I'm not looking to anyone or anything else as my source for my emotional and spiritual life. I'm not looking to anyone or anything else to satisfy me, to satisfy the longings of my heart. I am in Christ. I am abiding in Christ. I am living in Him. I'm no longer living in the world. Amen. This is a distinct difference from the way that the world lives, from those who do not believe in Christ, from those who are not part of the family of God. They look to other things as their source. Amen. They look to materialism. They look to possessions. They look to power, to prestige, to their own glory as their source. They look to entertainment. They look to partying and just having a good time as the source of joy and fulfillment in their life. But not for us who are in Christ. He is our source of joy. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He, he's the one who came and lived and died and rose again. He's the one who's ascended into heaven and poured His Spirit out into our lives. He's the one that we love more than anybody else. He, he's the, the ultimate source of joy. That we know Christ. That He has saved us. 
That we're part of his family. We're, we're part of, of his eternal plan. He is the greatest treasure. He is the greatest joy. We, we don't look to the trivial things of life as if those could bring us satisfaction and joy. When we have Christ, when we have the, the ultimate uh, supreme being in all of creation, He is ours and we are His. We get so distracted by, by things that just don't matter. So, so distracted by things that are fading away. But Christ will never fade away. In fact, His glory will shine brighter and brighter for all eternity. In the kingdom of God, when He returns, there won't even be sun, a sun, moon, and stars anymore. But it will be the glory of Christ that illuminates all of creation. Amen. The, the sun, our sun is just a, a pale, dark representation to us, picture for us of the glory of Christ. This is why that old, that old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We've got to take our eyes off of the things that are temporary. Take our eyes off of the things that are passing away, fading away, the natural, the material. They will not bring us joy. That is the great lie of the world is that Material things can satisfy an, an immaterial soul. Your soul will not be satisfied with anything or anyone other than Christ. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We look to Jesus. We hold on to Jesus. Again, He is our source. He is the source of our life. He is the supply we don't find our joy in stuff. We don't find our joy in, in our own praise and in our own glory. We find our joy in bringing glory and praise to God. Again, a distinct difference from the way the world lives. Not to criticize the world. They're lost, okay? They're lost. We need to pray for those that are lost that the Holy Spirit would work in their lives and that He would use us to proclaim this good news to them about the supreme worth of Jesus above all things. But to do this, to live this life, you cannot do it in your own strength. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Separated from the vine, the branch can bear no fruit. But as we live in Christ, as we, we set our focus, our attention, our gaze upon Him, as His Word, He says, abides in us, as His words live in us. Without me, you can do nothing. But if my Word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. And so bring glory to the Father. So bring glory to the Father. We cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot do this in our own power. It is through the power of Christ, but it's as we abide in Him and His words abide in us that we begin to bear 
much fruit. That's how we stay connected to the vine. Is the world your source today? Are you looking to to anyone or anything other than Christ to be your satisfaction and joy? If it is, you're you're looking to that thing. That thing is is your vine, not the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? You're not going to bear the fruit of righteousness by doing that. You're not going to bring glory to God by doing that. Take your eyes off of everything else and put them upon Jesus. And He will produce this good fruit in your lives that will bring glory and praise to God. Look at what he says here at the very end of 15, John 15, verse 11. He says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Listen, Jesus wants you to be full of joy today. This following of Jesus, of keeping his commandments, like he said, and, and bearing good fruit, this isn't a joyless existence. In fact, it is the most joy-filled existence. Jesus doesn't want you to go around beaten down, sad, depressed. No, he wants you to go around full of joy. He says, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This living a life for the glory of God, everything I do, I do for him. Whatever it is that I do, I do it in in accordance with the word of God. And when I do that, it glorifies God. But not only does this bring God the most glory, it also brings me the most joy. You need to understand that whatever brings God the most glory is going to bring you the most joy. The lie of the enemy all the way to the garden. Don't obey God. Don't obey his word. Don't do what he says. Go your own way. It'll make you happy. It's the great lie. The great truth is when I glorify God, I am filled with the most joy. This is what Jesus says, that my joy may be in you. What that means is that that if we abide in Christ, If we abide in his word and his word abides in us, if we keep his commandments, the joy that he had, the the thing that brought him joy, I should put it that way, the thing that was Christ's source of joy becomes our source of joy. His joy in us and that that joy would be full. Listen, this is such a profound truth. It is so much better than temporary happiness. I love to be happy, okay? I like to be happy. I like it when the waiter gets my order right. You know, I I love that. I mean, that makes me happy. But guess what? As soon as the waiter gets my order wrong, guess what? I'm not happy. Happiness is great, but it comes and goes. It's so fleeting. Our world today lives for the pursuit of happiness. But there's something better than happiness. It's the joy of the Lord, which the Bible says is your strength. Amen. And this is a joy that will sustain you in every trial, in every circumstance. The joy that was set before him empowered Christ to endure the rigors of the cross. And this same joy can be in you. So that you can go through whatever it is you've got to go through. And we all got to go through stuff in this life. 
but we don't have to go through it defeated. No, the joy of the Lord is our strength. When I make glorifying God my chief end in every situation, in every circumstance, whatever painful suffering I might endure, when I say I'm going to endure this and I'm going to bring God glory in the midst of it, there's a joy that is there that cannot be shaken. That's what Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Whatever brings God the most glory will bring you the most joy. John Piper put it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are the most satisfied in him. God is the most glorified in us when we are the most satisfied in him. That's what they were saying in that West, Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasures forevermore. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The reason why so many believers today are so weak is because they have no joy. It's because they're trying to find their happiness in anything and everything other than Christ. They're not abiding in Christ. His words are not abiding in them. They're not bearing fruit and bringing glory and praise to God. So what does it look like to bring glory and praise to God? It means to live your life in such a way that puts God's nature, God's character, God's attributes on display. How do we do that? We do that by abiding in Christ, by living in Him, by making Him the ultimate end, the ultimate goal, the supreme that He is already. We just simply acknowledge that in our lives. And we say we are living for him. We are living for his glory. Everything I do, everything I say, everything I speak, let it be all done to the praise and the glory of God. We lay our lives down when we come to Christ. He is our Savior, yes, but he is our Lord. Jesus, our Lord. We live for him. When we live for him, he will be glorified in us. And so the question we conclude with today, am I living my life to bring praise and glory to God? Is that the deepest desire of my heart? Or is it something else? Is it something else? That's a challenging thought that I leave us with today. It's a challenging thought. As we look at our lives, we all look and we say, we fail in so many ways. We fail in so many ways. And so we lean on, what do we lean on? Well, we lean on the grace of God. It's not only the grace of God that empowers us to live for Christ, it's the grace of God that picks us up when we don't. It's grace. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. But we must, we must fix our eyes upon Jesus. That's what we must do. We must turn our eyes from every other gaze. We must set our eyes on bringing him glory. Is that the deepest desire? Is that the, the deepest longing of your heart? I pray that it is. And when it's not, I pray that that's your prayer. 
Lord, help me to bring you glory. I want to bring you glory. I want to live for you. Lord, help me not to live for myself, but to live for you. This is the chief end of man. This is the reason why which you were created. This is what will produce the most joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment in your life. Is when you stop living for yourself and you start living for the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived for the praise and the glory of the Father. He calls us to follow him. He enables us to do so through the power of his grace and the power of his spirit in our lives.